the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City, WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. What was it that drove Paul to be like this, to be so fearless in witnessing for Christ? And what can we learn from his fearlessness so that we can have that kind of boldness and courage, not be intimidated as we so often are? I think it's obvious that Paul's courage came from the fact that he had seen the risen Lord. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're joining us in the middle of this series from Chapter 1 of Galatians, I'll tell you later how you can get caught up at our website. We sometimes hear of amazing Christians who demonstrate extreme courage in the face of deadly persecution. In today's class, we'll learn how the Apostle Paul could be so bold in his witness for Christ. Turn to Acts chapter 9 if you can. That's where Pastor Steve will begin today as we seek to better understand what exactly happened to Paul immediately following his conversion. Now, in order to better understand what Paul means here and what exactly happened to him immediately following his conversion, we need to see what Luke tells us about Paul in the book of Acts. So let's turn there. Acts chapter 9. We'll, we're going to keep referring to Acts 9 throughout this message. So I think it'd be good to stay there, put a little marker there. But I want to read to you, breaking in at verse 8 all the way to verse 19, and see what happened to Paul, which he doesn't tell us all about this in Galatians. But Luke tells us more, gives us more detail here in Acts chapter 9. Starting at verse 8, we read Saul, that was his Hebrew name, got up from the ground. And though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Hear, my Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name among the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. 
Now, we learn here that right after the Lord opened Paul's spiritual eyes so that now he saw the truth about Jesus, he closed his physical eyes. He blinded him physically so that he could no longer see anything around him. So being led by the hand, he was brought to the city of Damascus. Remember, he was on his way there. So they continued going to Damascus, and he stayed in the house of a man named Judas uh, on a street named Straight. Now, it was while Paul was in that house on Straight Street, in the house of Judas, uh, that the Lord directed a Christian man in the city of Damascus, a man named Ananias, to visit Paul in order that he might regain his sight and be baptized as a new believer. However, even though Ananias and Paul obviously conversed. Paul states emphatically in Galatians 1 that following his conversion, he did not consult with flesh and blood. In other words, although he obviously had a talk to Ananias and we would assume other believers in the city of Damascus at that time, Paul did not discuss with anyone what he should believe, what he should preach, what he should do concerning the gospel, nor did he seek out any kind of authorization from anyone to preach the gospel. See, what what Paul wants the Galatians to understand, and us by way of application, is that following his conversion, he didn't seek anyone's advice, didn't need it. He didn't seek their understanding. He didn't seek clarification concerning the revelation that God had given to him. Paul understood it. No one taught him the gospel. No one instructed him in Christian doctrine while he was in Damascus as a brand new believer. They didn't need to. That's his point. God made it clear to him. God revealed it. God disclosed it. But not only did Paul not consult with any believer in Damascus about his new faith, he tells us in Galatians 1.17 that he decided at this time not to travel to the city of Jerusalem to seek out any spiritual advice or instruction from the twelve apostles who resided there. So what did Paul do after he received his sight while in Damascus? Well, instead of going up to Jerusalem, which was at that time the center of Christianity, because as I said, that's where all the apostles resided. Paul tells us in Galatians 1.17 that he went away. He went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Once again, we turn to Luke in Acts 9 to fill us in on some of the details that Paul leaves out in Galatians 1. And these details enable us, folks, to see more clearly what took place in the apostle's life in the early days, his early days as a Christian. Notice, as we continue, the last part of verse 19 all the way to verse 22. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were in Damascus, this is after Ananias has come. He's received his sight. He was baptized. He's eaten. He's gotten stronger. He was for several days with the disciples who were in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those who heard him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here? for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, from these verses, we learn that before going into the 
wilderness called Arabia, Paul spent some time in Damascus. And what was he doing there? He was preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Now, what's so fascinating about this is that even in the first days following his conversion, Paul was not only serving and witnessing about Christ, but note this. He was preaching the gospel message, which was clearly defined in his mind. He knew what it was. Why? That's his argument. God had given it to him. He's a brand new believer, but he understands the gospel message and gets up and preaches it in the various synagogues in the city of Damascus. He didn't need anyone to explain it to him. He didn't need a course in a seminary. He didn't need anyone to clarify for him what the gospel message was. God had made it known to him on the road to Damascus. So here he is in the city of Damascus just a few days later, and he's preaching the gospel. Now, it must have been soon after this brief time of preaching in the synagogues of Damascus, perhaps a few weeks, that Paul says here in Galatians 1 that he left the city of Damascus for the wilderness of Arabia. Now, what did the apostle mean by the region he called Arabia, and why did he go there? Well, we're not sure. And we're not sure because Paul doesn't tell us anything other than the fact that he went into Arabia. However, Bible scholars believe that by Arabia, Paul probably means a wide area of wilderness that included the vicinity of Damascus. So he may not have traveled very far from Damascus, but he's in a wilderness that includes Damascus. It's not what we would call the modern day country of Saudi Arabia. So when you hear Arabia, not talking about that, talking about a vast area of wilderness around Damascus. What did Paul do in Arabia? Well, all we can do is speculate, but it's very likely that he didn't go there to evangelize or to plant any churches. And I say that because if he had done that, we would have expected Luke to mention that in the book of Acts. After all, the purpose of the book of Acts is to tell us about the expansion of Christianity in the early days of the church. But Luke doesn't tell us anything about Paul's time in Arabia. So it's very reasonable to conclude that he was not there on a preaching mission. So if Paul didn't go to Arabia to evangelize. Then why did he go there? Well, the best guess that we can come up with, and it's only a guess, I think this is right, but he can't prove it biblically, is that he went there to meditate, to reflect on his new faith in Christ and consider all the implications of what Jesus had just said to him when he met him on the road to Damascus. Here's the way Bible teacher John Stott interprets Paul's time in Arabia. He writes, he seems to have stayed there for three years. Verse 18 does say that. We believe that in this period of withdrawal, as he meditated on the Old Testament scriptures, on the facts of the life and death of Jesus that he already knew, and on his experience of conversion, the gospel of the grace of God was revealed to him in its fullness. It has even been suggested that those three years in Arabia were a deliberate compensation for the three years of instruction which Jesus gave the other apostles, but which Paul missed. Now he had Jesus to himself as it were, for three years of solitude in the wilderness. End of quote. That may very well be accurate, but we don't know for certain. Now, after this time, though, in the wilderness of Arabia, what we do know is what Paul tells us at the end of verse 17, that he returned once more to the city of Damascus. Now, what was he doing back in the city of Damascus? Well, 
we're not explicitly told what he was doing there. But I think it's a good assumption that he was doing the same thing he did before he left the city of Damascus for Arabia. And that was preaching the gospel in the synagogues. And that only makes sense because in Acts 9, verses 23 and following, you don't need to turn there. I'll just explain to you what happened. We read by Luke that the Jewish leaders of that city plotted to kill the apostle Paul and that he only escaped by being lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall. You see, these Jewish leaders are probably the very same men that Paul was supposed to work with in seizing the Jewish Christians in the city of Damascus before he was converted. And so they're now incensed at Paul because he's become a Christian. And he's preaching Christ in the synagogues and they felt betrayed in their cause against Christianity. So they hate Paul trying to kill him, but he escapes. Now, before we we move on and see where Paul headed after Damascus. We should pause and consider an important principle that we see in the apostles life. I think it's important for us to take note of this man's courage. This man's boldness in preaching the gospel in the synagogues of Damascus after all. He's just a babe in Christ. He's a new believer. And he certainly knows the kind of opposition that he would have received from the Jewish leadership because he was once one of them. He was once one of them. Yet he still boldly proclaims Jesus as Messiah. Amazing. What was it that drove Paul to be like this? To be so fearless in witnessing For Christ. And what can we learn from his fearlessness so that we can have that kind of boldness and courage, not be intimidated as we so often are? I think it's obvious that Paul's courage came from the fact that he had seen the risen Lord. He had seen Christ. He had spent time in fellowship with him. See, witnessing to Paul wasn't something that he did as a spiritual chore, as a discipline, as if, oh, yeah, I have to witness today. It's expected of me. Now, telling others about Christ was the natural outgrowth of Paul's relationship with his Lord. And his desire to witness was fueled by the the time he spent in the Lord's presence, getting closer and closer to Jesus, spending time with him, learning more about him. And he, you know what? He wanted others to know about his wonderful Lord, this wonderful Lord that he had become so familiar with, so acquainted with, so intimate with. Now, you and I have not physically seen the Lord and we have not experienced any direct revelation. We get our revelation from the scripture. It's not direct. And we have not spent to my knowledge. I don't know of anyone here who has spent three years in the wilderness of Arabia. Someone after the service might inform me that that is true in their life. But to my knowledge, I don't know anybody here who has spent three years in the wilderness of Arabia like Paul. However, You don't have to have Paul's experience or experiences. You can fellowship daily with the Lord through reading his word and spending time in prayer. And if you will do this consistently, and I don't mean once in a while, I mean consistently on a daily basis, you will find yourself growing closer and closer to him to the point that it will be natural for you to tell others about him. It it won't be something that you feel obligated to do, a chore that you dread, but you know you're supposed to do it. You'll see it as a privilege, 
as a joy as you get to tell others about your best friend, your Lord, your your Savior, the one that you have spent hours with in the early morning hours getting to know him better. So I would encourage you to consider where you are in your relationship with Christ. If you need more boldness and more courage in witnessing, then make sure that you are spending enough time with him to cultivate the kind of relationship where you can't help but speak about him to others. I think that's the secret of Paul's boldness. He knew Christ well, and he wanted to tell others about his best friend. So here's what we've seen so far. Take a step back and see where we are. Immediately after he meets Christ on his way to Damascus, Paul is led into the city by hand. He's been blinded. Where, after receiving his sight and being baptized, he starts preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Then shortly after that, he leaves Damascus and spends some time alone in the wilderness of Arabia in order to reflect on his conversion, to study the Old Testament, to fellowship with Christ. Next, he returns to Damascus, picks up where he left off, and he starts preaching in the synagogues until he is forced to leave the city under the threat of his life. So that's where we are. So now where does he go? Now where does the man travel? Verses 18 and 19. Then, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So after leaving the city of Damascus, which is now about three years since the time of his conversion, Paul finally heads to Jerusalem, in order to meet with Cephas, which is simply another name for Peter. It's the Aramaic form of Peter. So when you see Cephas in Galatians, it's Peter. And he spends 15 days with Peter. He sees none of the other apostles at this time, except, he tells us, James, the half-brother of the Lord. Now, why does Paul tell us about this visit to Jerusalem? And how is this information even pertinent to his argument that his gospel message was revealed to him by God and not the product of any human teaching. Folks, this is actually quite pertinent to his argument. Actually, this is his argument. This is very significant because one of the things that the false teachers apparently accused Paul of was that he had been a student of other Christians, instructed by them, especially by the Lord's apostles, that they had instructed him, they said, on the gospel, but Paul, while he got a little bit of their teaching, he didn't get the whole thing because he purposely corrupted their teaching so that the message that he was now preaching and the one he had preached to the Galatians, that was wrong. That was a warped version, they said, of the gospel. Yes, he has a little bit of inkling about the life of Jesus. Yes, a little bit of doctrine, but he has changed it. He's corrupted it. It's a deviant one from what he was taught by the apostles. Now, that's what they were saying. But right here, Paul emphatically denies that. He denies this charge that he had been taught Christian theology by the apostles by telling us that it wasn't until three years after he was saved that he even visited Jerusalem and met any of the apostles. He didn't know them. He didn't know any of them. And the only apostles he saw at this time were just Peter and James, the Lord's brother. 
And he tells us that his visit with Peter lasted only a brief 15 days, just a little over two weeks, hardly enough time to be instructed on the whole counsel of the Christian gospel and to change his entire pharisaical way of thinking from salvation by works to salvation by grace. Hardly enough time. Besides, it's rather obvious that Paul didn't travel to Jerusalem to learn the gospel from the apostles. Why is it so obvious? Think with me. Because he's already been preaching the gospel in Damascus. And he was obviously preaching the truth there because all the Jewish leaders were upset with him. If he was preaching salvation by works, they would applaud him, not try to kill him. They would never have been bothered by Paul preaching salvation by keeping the law of Moses. They would never have tried to silence him. But they hated him, tried to kill him because he was preaching the true gospel. So if Paul didn't travel to Jerusalem in order to learn the gospel from any of the apostles, then why did he go there? Well, he tells us. Notice, once again, verse 18, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become, here's the reason, acquainted with Cephas. Paul tells us that the reason he went to Jerusalem was not to be instructed by any of the apostles in the truths of the gospel, but rather it was to become acquainted with with Peter, Cephas, Simon Peter. In other words, Paul wanted to meet Peter in order to get to know him. He didn't know him. So he went there to make his acquaintance. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul and Peter talked about when they were together for those two weeks in Jerusalem. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? But as somebody said, when two apostles get together, they don't just talk about the weather. So, it is very likely that they both told each other about their experiences with Christ. Peter would have told Paul about his three-year period of internship, being a disciple under Jesus during his earthly ministry. Paul would have related to Peter his three-year discipleship with Jesus out in the wilderness of Arabia. That, that makes a whole lot of sense. But regardless of exactly what they discussed during those 15 days, this much is clear. Paul did not travel to Jerusalem to learn anything from Peter. He was not his student. Peter was not his rabbi, nor were any of the other apostles. The gospel message that Paul had been preaching for three years prior to this meeting was the same one that Peter and the apostles had been preaching as well. Paul's meeting with Peter and James was not as someone who was inferior to these apostles. He was one of them. He was a full-fledged apostle, equal to them in every way. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul states this, In no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I'm a nobody. Paul said, I wasn't inferior to any of them, even Peter. So Paul recognized that he was just as much an apostle as Peter was or any of the Jerusalem apostles. So he came to Jerusalem simply seeking to become acquainted with Peter, not looking to learn anything from him or from any other apostle. In fact, Paul said that he didn't meet with all the apostles. For some reason, they were either not there at the time. They might have been afraid of this man, but he only met with Peter and James. Understand, I've said it before, I'm reiterating it. He was not a student of the apostles. He'd already learned the gospel message from the Lord himself. He didn't need it to learn it from any man. 
And so Paul, listen, this is such a pressing issue on Paul's heart. He is so concerned that the Galatians believe him because if they don't, their whole lives are messed up. Generations after them will not, will not hear the gospel. Some of them perhaps aren't even saved. This is critical that they believe Paul and not the false teachers. So what he does is he makes a Jewish vow, takes an oath. Notice verse 20. He tries to convince them of the trustworthiness of his statement by making a common Jewish vow. He said, now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God, I am not lying. He is, in essence, swearing by God that he is telling the truth. He wants them to know that what he is talking about here about his relationship with the 12 apostles is absolutely accurate. This is the way it really happened, regardless of what any false teacher has claimed about his relationship with these men. It is remarkable that when Paul and Peter finally met, they found that they were sharing the same gospel. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Thank you for joining our class today. To listen to this study again or catch up on previous broadcasts, go to our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can stream or download any of the hundreds of audio files you'll find on the Message Archive page. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. A lot of Christians today want to be celebrities. Paul didn't. In fact, he kind of dropped off the face of the earth for several years. Come back next. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.